Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we're going to look at scriptures from Proper 20. Proper 20. Now, remember, we are in the season of Pentecost, which is the second half of the church liturgical year. What that means is, is the first half of the church liturgical year begins in Advent, which will begin at the end of November or the beginning of December. And we have Advent, the Advent of Christ, Christ is coming. Christmas, Christ is born. Epiphany, Christ shows himself, he appears, begins to reveal himself in his ministry. Then we have Lent, now we're preparing for the death of Christ, which occurs at the end of his three-year ministry. Then we have Easter, of course. He's risen from the dead. We celebrate that joyfully for seven weeks. Then we have Pentecost, which we celebrate on the 50th day. Then we have the season after Pentecost, or the weeks after Pentecost, I should say. The weeks after Pentecost. And now we refer to them as propers. So you look at the scriptures on your post, and you'll see Sunday to Saturday for proper 20. And we will be celebrating and reading 2 Kings 4. Remember, we spoke about Elijah and Elisha last week. We'll be looking at Elisha and his exploits through chapter 11. And as you remember, we're not doing every chapter and every verse. You can always supplement your reading with those. We are continuing in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4 through 7. Again, not including everything in Corinthians, but hitting some high points. And then finally, we continue with Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 21 through 6, 24. The Sermon on the Mount begins on, in chapter 5 of Matthew. All right, let's look at 2 Kings chapter 4, 8 through 37. The Shunammite's son restored to life. Now, you remember the widow at Zarephath? And Elijah raised her son from the dead. Then we have another restoration. Okay, so I'm going to let you read this because it's pretty long. And you're going to see in verse 34, again, read the verses, Elijah, Elisha stretched himself out upon the child and the bodies of the child grew warm. Elisha turned away, walked back and forth in the room, then got on his bed. Now, he's dead. The child is dead. He lays on him, stretched out on him one more. The boy sneezed seven times, opened his eyes. The son is alive. She came in, fell at Elisha's feet, bowed to the ground. She took her son and went out. Now, both the resurrection that occurred with Elijah and Elisha, we see in the resurrection of Christ. So they were given the gift of raising someone from the dead. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead in John 11, uh, by the way, and has two other resurrections. And then we'll see um, Peter and Paul will raise someone from the dead. Okay? So a very fantastic miracle that only, of course, God can do. 2 Kings chapter 4, 8 through 37. 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5 is a beautiful... um, 2 Kings chapter 5 is a beautiful scripture of healing. Naaman. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. This is in chapter 5, verse 1. He was a great man in the sight of his master, highly regarded, 
and through him the Lord gave victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy, and he wanted to be healed of leprosy. Well, it come to find out that there was a prophet in Israel named Elijah, and he found out that he had that healing power. So he goes to see Elijah and stops at his door, at the door, verse 9. And Elijah sent a messenger to him. He wanted to see Elijah, Elisha himself. Go wash seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. And he said, what? I'm a, he gets upset in verse 11. I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. Nope. And then he says, are not the rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel? Then Naaman's servants, verse 13, come to him and say, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something, wouldn't you not have done it? How much more when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? He's giving you the answer. Go do it. Now, this is a very important principle. Getting the right answer, that's number one. What is the truth? What is the right answer? What is the solution to my problem? And two, when you get the solution, do what the prophet says. So the prophet said, go wash in the Jordan. And he didn't even speak to him directly. Now, Naaman had a whole different idea of what needed to be done, but that was not the answer. The answer was to listen to what the prophet said. So he went and did it. And the flesh was restored, verse 14, and he became clean like that of a young boy. And he said to him, he said to uh, the man of God, now I know that there's no God in all the world except in Israel. You're the right person. This is the right God. This is the God of gods. This is the only God that there is. I'm thinking of Daniel. How Nebuchadnezzar concluded that this is, this is God based on some miracles that God had done in his presence. So the prophet said, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing because he wanted to give him a gift. And Elisha did not accept it. If you will not, said Naaman, verse 17, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down and is leaning on my arm, and I bow down there also, when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace. So he goes in peace. Elisha does not accept his offer. Um, he's thoroughly changed. And he goes a distance, and Gehazi, the servant Elisha, the man of God, says, you know, maybe I can get something out of this. So what happens is, he goes and says, uh, yeah, everything's okay, verse 22. My master sent me to say the two young men from the company of the prophets have come to me from the hill company of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. He said, sure. So he took him, lied, took him. He goes in and stands before Elisha. Where have you been, Gehazi? You don't fool with Elisha. Your servants did not go anywhere 
Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? You're representing me. You're my messenger. You're important. I went with you. Is this the time to take money to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, or manservants, or maidservants? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence, and he was leprous as white as snow. He was leprous as white as snow. So what a great way to demonstrate that the God is in charge and he works through his prophet. Do not fool with the prophet. Chapter 6, 1 to 23, some just uh, miraculous things that um, Elisha does. This is, this, this is a great scripture starting in verse 8 about, God, about Elijah, Elijah being surrounded and uh, he's in trouble. And the servant of the man got up early the next morning. An army of horses and chariots surrounded the city in verse 15. Oh, my Lord, what are we going to do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What? We're surrounded. They got more than we do. I'm looking around. I don't see. We don't have enough to take them. Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And as the enemy came toward him, Elisha prayed prayed to the Lord, Strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. There were horses and chariots of fire. The Lord had provided a way to save Elisha. And then he prayed, and the Lord struck him with blindness. This is an extraordinary series of miracles that you'll see in chapter 5 and chapter 6 with Naaman, and now chapter 6, amazing miracles. Chapter 9, 2 Kings chapter 9, this is on Thursday, 1 to 16. Jehu is appointed... Uh, king of Israel, the prophet Elijah summoned a man from the company of the prophets and said to him, tuck your coat under your belt, take this flask of oil with you and go to Ramoth Gilead. This is chapter 9, verse 1. When you get there, go and see Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Go to him, get him from his companions and take him into an inner room. Take the flask and pour oil on his head and say, This is what the Lord says, I anoint you as king of Israel. So they poured oil over the head. Remember when they did that to David when uh, he was made king in 1 Samuel 16. I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and run. Don't delay. So he went and did that. The prophet poured oil on his head in verse 6. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anoint you as king over the Lord's people, Israel. Remember, God is the one that's anointing. God is the one that's saving. God is the one that's in charge. God is the one that's sovereign. Therefore, we are to submit to him, love him, protect him, as I said to you last week. Enjoy 2 Kings chapter 9. There is a lot there. In chapter uh, 2 Kings chapter 11, we have Athaliah and Joash. Another great story and another longer reading, if you will. And uh, enjoy that reading. You're looking for ways that God works with people in historical contexts, teaches the people of God 
a lesson through the story and then using the story to teach us lessons. So as you're reading from this listing in 2 Kings, 2 Kings 4 and 5 and 6 and 9 and 11, and you're reading the stories and digesting the stories, think about it contextually where they are. You might have notes at the bottom of your Bible if you have a study Bible. And then think of it also as a way for God to speak to you using the story. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Enjoy those readings. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 8. We have a, uh, these are apostles of Christ. Um, and he finishes, he says in verse 20 of chapter 4, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but power. And so there are, Benefits to the kingdom. There are powerful, powerful things that God does in the kingdom of God. Um, we are teaching the people of God about the things of God, the doctrine of Christ, who God is. And he says, the kingdom of God is about power, the power of the Lord. Now we see in chapter 5, we have a terrible problem. There's an immorality among them. You see that in verse 1? There is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife. A man has his father's wife. And he says at the end of five, this is pretty rough, five, 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 hand this man over to Satan so all the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Mm. Okay? So he's, it's a very strong teaching about dealing with wickedness and about dealing with uh, sexual immorality. What business is it of mine, verse 12, to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Judge, God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. The word of the Lord to us regarding um, sexual immorality in the church is a very serious one. And a lot of folks uh, normally refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we see the whole sexual immorality issue, particularly in the second half, in 12 to 20 that you'll see there in your post on Thursday. He says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. He says that the food is for stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. The Greek word there is porneia. The body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. The body, the body that you have, that God has given you, you only get one in your life, is the Lord's body. It is for the Lord. The Lord is the one that created you. The, one, the Lord is the one that made you. The, one, the Lord is the one that's gifted you and blessed you and given you gifts and talents and skills and all these wonderful things. And that the, the body that you had, the soma, the Greek word, the soma, is, is for the Lord and for his purposes. Okay? He talks about sexual immorality a little bit longer, and he says, the two become one flesh. He who unites himself with the Lord is made one with him in spirit. So he says, run away from sexual immorality in verse 18. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, the 
Gentiles had very significant problems with sexual immorality at that time in the first century. The Jewish people much less so because of the word of God in the Old Testament and God's very strong prohibitions prohibitions against certain sexual practices. So this was a, uh, Corinth was a very, very wicked town. And so sexual immorality, as we saw in chapter 5, and we see in chapter 6, was a very real thing, and he had to deal with that. Interestingly, in chapter 7, now he talks about marriage and sexuality. Okay? You see that in verses 1 through 9. And so, um, he says in verse 19, circumcision is nothing, and, and uh, he said circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what, ha- what counts. We need to do what God says. We need to hear what God says. One of the things we need to do regarding uh, sec- our sexuality is to hear what God says about that. Again, that's why Paul had to educate them regarding sexual immorality. And he says, of course, as I read to you, from 1 Corinthians 6.18, we need to run away from it. All of the sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sexually sins, sins against his own body. Now, this is a very uh, important series of chapters, and of course, this subject is way too big other than to make um, a cursory reading of it together, and that is 5, 6, and 7 in dealing with sexuality, dealing with marriage, and dealing with what I do about that. Okay? I hope you'll enjoy that. In Matthew chapter... Five, we remember we left off in the Sermon of the Mount. The Sermon of the Mount is chapters five, six, and seven. And um, we are in verse 21. So he's going to have a series of readings. He's going to talk about murder, adultery, divorce, and oaths. Okay? So he says, you've heard that it was said long ago, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, is in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, verse 23 of chapter 5, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar, Go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Settle your matters quickly, and do not go to court. Adultery. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Okay? But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. Divorce. It's been said that anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, again, sexual immorality, Causes her to commit adultery, and anyone who marries a woman so divorced commits adultery. Strong sayings from Jesus. And then we get into the whole idea of oaths, and then we go uh, to eye for an eye, retribution. Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. If anyone strikes you in the right cheek, turn to him the other also. This is very famous. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, give him your cloak. If anyone wants you to go one mile, go two. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And then the very famous passage about loving your enemy. He basically says, you got to love your enemy. No matter what. He says, the sun rises on the evil and the good. Rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward you get? Anybody can do that. Even the tax collectors do that. 
Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be whole. And so in order to do that, we need to be in the Lord. We need to know the Lord. In the sixth chapter, we look at prayer. You see prayer there in verses 5 through um, 13. And then we have a lesson on fasting. And then finally, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Well, that's a strong teaching for today. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. They can take stuff from your house. They can rip you off. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It has eternal value. Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Do things that have eternal value. They can't take mess up your stuff there. Here, temporal stuff, they can steal. You can have fires. You can have earthquakes. You can get floods. You can lose your stuff. Lay up treasures in heaven. Okay? No one can serve two masters, verse 24, and the end of Saturday. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. Another very famous statement of Jesus's. Well, lot to think about in the Sermon on the Mount. You could read the Sermon on the Mount your entire life. Interesting series of verses, as I said earlier, in 1 Corinthians about our bodies and how to use our bodies and what happens when we don't use our bodies rightly and what marriage is about in chapter 7. And then some beautiful readings in 2 Kings um, from Elisha. Uh, We have a resurrection of a little boy from the dead. We have the healing of Naaman. We have the consequences of Gehazi when he tried to get something and lie to um, uh, Elisha and then several other stories that are important in 2 Kings. So enjoy your reading, take your time, pray, listen to what God is saying to you by the Holy Spirit about what he would say to you regarding these readings. There's a lot here. Give yourself some time to digest them. And we'll see you next week for Proper 21 as we continue our journey through God's Word. God bless you.